I'm going to get you for that one wrong, <laughs> I will probably not live it down from John either, but... Uh, you know, I was asked about last year, if I, this afternoon here, and I immediately said yes. And, and when I'm asked to do things in the distant future, I don't think about it. About six months ago, or maybe less than that, when our group started to announce a fair at our meeting, and uh, the first supply, I think, that came around, there was anything. And then every week thereafter, when it was announced, speakers. And the first time I said, I'm going to hurt some time, but I really wasn't sure what the date was. Because I'm not on the mailing list, and I don't correspond with them a lot. So uh, Wednesday, I received a call. <laughs> I'm okay. I really am okay. Or something like that. But I don't take these things too more. I don't take sobriety to say no to a drink and a lot. And with the new developments, I'm how to touch with. It's the kind of group that if you don't feel like but after you go two weeks, you don't say anything. Uh, I, <laughs> I do open it once in a while. Um, but um, because those of you that know me, when I talk, I like and there's usually how it works here, here. And I noticed when he said he was going to leave it there. But I do have it, you know. The invitation here today just reaffirmed my way. I tease around and joke around about the program, but yes. And when I know it's necessary for me to do something. But my efforts today is to help some. My sobriety concern, I'm a good, devoted 12-stepper. Uh, I came to you April 1st, 1964. Learn how to stop drinking. I had been told that for a long time. And I thought I was drinking like a lady. Uh, the ladies that I hung around with all drank like me. So, But when I came to you, I didn't come to learn how to lady. I was taught differently. I came, uh, Evans Avenue was my first meeting every morning. I came to Chicago from once in a while. I came to Chicago alcoholic. I didn't know it at the time, but I was. I was drinking uh, vodka with, uh, uh, when did you become an alcoholic? Who turned into an alcoholic? I always blamed Chicago because I really wasn't uh, that clean here. My husband's job transferred us here, and I did have a choice, because he had, actually, uh, I didn't have, I did have a choice, but he didn't. Um, I was told that I don't have to come. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of the kids. You can come. You can stay here if you want to, but I, I won't. So I had a sister here at her, and asked her how was, I'm a good Baptist too, and uh, how were the liquor stores? And she said, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, well, what time do the liquor stores open? And she said, I don't know, 9 o'clock or something. She says, why? I says, well, I need to know what time they open. In New York, on Sundays, the liquor stores open at 12 o'clock. I could not wait sometimes. And said, uh, she didn't know. Came here like on, during the Easter season, I go. And when we, we rented this place in Chicago, it's uh, 67th and Cornell, right across the street from Jackson Park uh, Golf Course. And that's when it was really a Jackson Corner, was the Jackson Park Hotel, and down the street from that on Stony. And on the 68th Street side of Stony Island was a liquor store. I was sandwiched between two liquor stores, and, um, and I would go to the liquor store. One morning I would go to one, and the next morning I would go to the other. And uh, the one that's on 68th Street, the man didn't know me quite well as the one on the side. And I would uh, say to him, you know, I wish my brother would move. I am so tired of him. Send me to the store for him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she, he just looked at me. didn't say a word, but um, he looked at me and, and just shook his head. I would always get a half pint, and by that time, I, by the time I got home, I would have opened it and, t and taken a sip out of it. We, this would be about 7 o'clock in the morning. About 9 o'clock, I had to go and get another one. So my day started off that way. I never drank when my husband was home. He was a long-distance truck driver, and I didn't want him to know how much I was drinking. He never knew. I, uh, to this day, I don't believe the man knew I was drinking. Anyway, um, 
I heard about AA on the radio or TV. I'm not sure which one. And I heard if you had a drinking problem to call the, I called the number and then now, uh, Marge answered the phone and if I could uh, something like that without a drink. So I said, no, I can't. She said, well, anybody can not drink for one day. And I said, well, I can't. And I hung up on her. And I was one of these crying drunks. I hadn't been in the city very long. I think. And uh, I hung up on her and I would go and I would drink. Well, I used to have a habit of hiding the liquor. And when I would want to drink, I would go in the bathroom. I, get, I do a lot of things today in the bathroom. Uh, not drink, mind you, but uh, a lot of things. I can have a quiet time in there sometimes. Anyway, uh, I would go in and I would get a drink. And one, she, one day she asked me if I wanted And I said no. And she sent me some materials. And the only time that I would read the materials is when I was drinking. I put the materials in the bathroom too. And uh, go and I would read them. I didn't need them when I wasn't. Uh. But anyway, I called her up and she told me where I meet up in the group. At that time, it was a storefront, and I asked my neighbor if she would go with me. Yeah, so it was raining that night. I'll never forget it. It was raining hard. I went to this meeting, and we walked into the room. It was packed. I just full of people. It was so smoky. It's like you could cut it with a knife. The smoke was that thick. Anyway, I sat in the, uh, by the fourth seat down, and during the intermission or during the break time around and introduced herself to us and asked which one had the problem, and I said, she has. <laughs> and, and that, of course, uh, started a fight. And she said, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. We'll soon find out. So, uh, <laughs> so on the way home that night, uh, Dorothy said to me, she said, you better tell George where you've been because I'm not going to go with you anymore. She says, you know I'm not an alcoholic. Blah, blah, went on. So I said, okay, fine. He happened to be home that night. So I told him where I had been, and, of course, he was, I was glad about it. And I was told to come back to meetings on it, and I didn't use it. No one told me that night not to drink. They just told me to come to a meeting the following night. The meeting was. Well, I got up in the morning and did my usual thing. I went to the store and I started to drink and, and, and drink all day. And the phone would ring. He called. I was doing just fine. And I was doing just fine. That night I uh, went to the meeting at 70th and King's Drive. And my husband took me to the meeting. And we got there early that he would have to pick me up later. And my husband asked me what time should I pick up? 10 o'clock. Well, my, my husband was jealous. Um, and I was just so shocked when he didn't ask any questions, what you going to do with her, what, nothing, just what time should I pick her up? Well, um, 10 o'clock came, and, and I sat through that meeting, and I took everyone else's inventory, and I had been drinking that day, too. And I remember, what I remember about that meeting is one man, it's an older man, I guess oldest was probably not as old at the time as I uh, pictured him to be, but he was very tall and had this white hair, and he said that he was glad he was an alcoholic. Uh, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I just could not believe that this man said he's the thing that he knows what to say. And I listened to the meeting. You know, I went home, and, and the next day I made another meeting. And I made meetings every day, and I drank. I made meetings every night, and I drank almost every day, well, practically every day. I didn't know how not to drink. I couldn't really identify with that. I was the youngest person around time, and I had not been through a lot been through, and we're talking about uh, but I was told, you know, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that. And, and I remember being told about the hunts and all these kind of things. I never tried it. To this day, I haven't tried it. just thought of it disgusted me. Uh, with, and I just didn't do what I was told. Anyway, um, one day I ended up on the uh, Jackson Park Jeffrey train. Uh, don't know where I was going. And the conductor, uh, Cordell, saw me and sat me next to him in the booth. And they kept the door open. And he talked AA downtown and back to me. And he said, now, Kathy, when you get off the train, I want you to call your night. I said, okay, fine. 
uh, I called my husband and he came and got me. Uh, those of you who might be familiar with the air, uh, elevated steps were very, very tall. In fact, they're toys torn. He came and got me and put me in the car. He drove the car into the garage and he didn't turn the light on and he closed the garage door and I knew I was in for it because we used to physically fist fight, you know, not scream and yell fight, actually hit fight. And uh, closed the door and he kind of like turned around where had I been and, you know, what was wrong with me. He knew that um, sobriety was possible. He had seen meetings and actually gotten to know some of you. And he, the first thing he said, well, what's wrong with those meetings? Why can't they work for you? And I didn't know why they couldn't work for me. Anyway, um, he said, if you want to go away, I'll send you away. If you want the kids to go away, whatever you want. He said, I can't take it anymore. He said, I can't work and worry about you at the same time. So I promised that I would be good. You know, I wouldn't drink anymore. And this is the same line I had so many times before. Um, and I went in the house at night and showered and went to bed. And that was the last time I had a drink. The next morning I woke up, still shaking as I was shaking every morning. I mean, I was really, really shaking. Um, didn't drink. Um, didn't take the oranges and honey as I had been. I just shook it out. That night I went to a meeting. It was Park Manor night again. I went to that meeting and I just literally sat on my hands and shaking. I was thinner than I am now too. I was 117 pounds for years. Um, I was able to listen to hear what you, uh, I wanted what you had. Before, I don't know what happened either. And I know my folks weren't gonna have me back in New York again. But um, the same man, Otis, he was there. And you know, I remember that night get, uh, getting pats on the back and saying to me, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I didn't know that they knew I had been drinking all these times coming to the meeting. <laughs> um, but anyway, that time, that night I didn't, uh, you know, I got the good stuff. And the next day I, I didn't. After a while I began to listen to the steps and listen to what people had to say about the steps. This is when I really, really did want to stay sober. And the first step explained to me why I would go out and stay away. Um, I had thought that because my husband told me if I go out and stay out past 12 o'clock, don't come back. And uh, so I wouldn't, you know, that was a good reason to go out and stay out all night. He said, if you don't come in before 12 o'clock, you might as well stay, and I did. But it explained to me um, why I did that. You know, it, um, it just clarified a lot of things for me. It's, uh, the second step, I don't ever believe that um, I was being restored to some place I had been before. Even to this day, I don't believe that I was being restored to where I had been. I can't ever remember being, um, feeling like a part of a belongingness. I have always felt apart from more so than a part of. Um, my family, I don't think, were all there. You know, there's alcoholism throughout my family today because a couple are in the program. But I don't think I was being restored to something. It was all new to me. When I came to AE, I had no personality. I mean, I was just a kid, actually. When I got married, I was a kid. I got uh, my girlfriend had uh, gotten married, and she had told me that if George asked me, I'd better marry him because no one else was going to ever ask me again. And I believed her. You know, that's how sick I was. I believed her, and uh, he asked me, and I did. So, so I don't. I have not been all there for a long time. It's only after I came into AA, and I was reading some materials. And, and another thing that I did too was learn about the disease concept of alcoholism. I wanted to know why I was like that because I had been told that oh you this and that. But I wanted to know that for myself. And the more I read and studied about it, the more comfortable I became and, and, and was able to accept it in my gut, not just in my head. Um, anyway, my sponsor used to remind me of some of the things that I, some of the things that I was doing. You had to be insane to do. You know, I used to uh, 
and I, I, I solely believe, too, that it wasn't necessarily the alcohol that got me into AA. I had lost my self-respect. Um, I was doing things that just were not ladylike. Uh, and I wasn't the only one, but I thought I was at the time. But alcohol was not the only thing that got me in here. Uh, other than my husband's threat, there were other things that had happened to my life, too, that after I did decide to take a inventory of me and see that, hey, alcohol was only the icing on a cake for you, uh, awry before that. Anyway, uh, I wanted to be whole, and that's what sanity means. And today I can truthfully say that I am sane to the best of uh, knowledge. You know, I have some clients who are a little bit different, so I figure I'm okay. Anyway, um, made a decision to turn out. I had always, not as I do today, but I've always had a faith. Not the kind that I thought would restore me to any kind of or, or to stop me from drinking, because I used to be afraid to pray, to pray for sobriety. I used to be afraid to pray to not drink again because I knew that I would. I always knew I would get up the next morning and drink it. That's all I knew to do. So I was afraid to say, hey, keep me sober or, or, or don't let me drink because I knew I would get up and I would, I would have this anymore. So therefore, I didn't pray for it. But today, I do have a, uh, 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 I have a relationship with my higher power that's really, really unique. It's really, um, sometimes I feel uncomfortable talking about my program. To those who are not in AA, I don't think they really understand that. I have church friends that I, I can say things to, like, you know, God is good. And they think I'm talking on the religious line, and I'm not. I'm coming from the spirituality aspect, and, and I understand where I'm coming from. But I do have a, a sobriety. Um, my God and I have a thing going on that is unbelievable. Uh, you have heard uh, you had the, uh, an attack of peace. Peace. And, and sometimes things are going so well with me, I have to pinch myself and see if I'm okay. I'll make a several phone calls and check things out. Because when I turned my will and my life over to him, I really did that. And on a daily basis, I do what I think is the best thing. And it works for me. It really does. I have a, I, I don't, it's not a slogan, it's a saying that, uh, that John gave to me a couple years ago. I know what I'm doing, love God, or something like that. It's on my refrigerator when people come to see that. And <laughs> but uh, it, it is. It's, it's like, it's okay. It's okay today. And things just work out for me the way they're supposed to work out. Uh, that fearless and moral inventory and the, um, fifth, the uh, fourth and fifth step. When I came around to, I would hear people talk about it when we would discuss the fourth step. And I wondered why everybody was passing. I would talk to my spouse. I mean, that. Well, people just want to lay everything on the table. So if there's something on your mind, you talk about it. You put it on the table and you get some answers. And I was putting things on the table left and right that I really shouldn't have. And, <laughs> and one night, I remember um, at Park Manor, we had, uh, once a month we would have an open meeting. Al-Anon's met in the back. And we met in the front. And, and, and when the, uh, certain, we changed secretaries. She felt that she would include Al-Anon's in, in, in our so once a month we had a, a, a joint meeting there, and I had made a statement in the meeting. And before I got home, my phone was ringing. Someone knew what I, had. and uh, of course I blamed the Elanons for saying it. You know they don't know how to keep their mouths closed. So uh, I didn't want to think, have anything to do with Elanons for a long time. I just you know I didn't trust them because you don't tell people what happens in the meeting; it stays there, um, because that's how I was raised in AA. You know if it's said in the meeting, you let it stay there. And those that are not there, they don't know about it. That's too bad. But anyway, I had a resentment for Elanon for a long time. I have since forgiven them, and they're all right with me again. But uh, I also um, didn't trust you enough to share 
my fourth and fifth step. I went to a psychiatrist over at the University of Chicago, uh, called up, scheduled an appointment, and I just told the man everything that I had done from the time. Um, the next day, he called me and asked me out. <laughs> and, and it's like, I don't believe this. He's no different from these other men, right? Anyway, I called my sponsor crying and carrying on, and so my sponsor said, good for you. You know, good serves you right. So I had to do it all over again with my sponsor and a lady, too. And you know what that did for me? First of all, it humiliated, it humiliated me to no end, but it made me feel a part of for the first time. That was when my healing started. I began to get well and to grow in AA when I did that. And I was no different. You know, I had done things in a different place, but not really that no one else had done. I just thought it was me. No one has committed the crimes that committed. So I couldn't share that, but it made me feel a part of you. So from that day on, my life has been an open book. I have nothing to hide. Anything that happens, to me, I can share it with you. Not necessarily at the tables, mind you, but on the one-on-one. <clears throat> but it made me grow. It, my healing did that. And I would recommend it to anyone. You know, if you haven't done it, do it. And I don't let the garbage build up anymore. You know, I don't take a fourth step every But I don't let the garbage build. I can't. I can't afford that. You know, I like to be cleansed inside. I like to be clean. I don't like the harbor around. So I, I don't do that. And the character defects, I had none. You didn't have any. But I had the type sponsor again who would point them out to me. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know the label that you had put defects. I have them, in, but uh, I didn't. But I do. I still have some today. I'm not, I don't want to be perfect. If I get perfect, I'll, I'll, be, I'll take wings. You know, I'll, I'll put myself on this pedestal and I will never have. But <clears throat> if I have some that's bothering someone else, I'm going to work on them. Or some that are so glaring to me that I need to do something well. But you know what? I don't necessarily... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't necessarily try and tell you about yours. If you have them, that's fine. If you see them. My best girlfriend in the whole world is not an AA. And she knows me like a book. And once in a while she'll say to me, aren't you supposed to be working one of those steps? You know? <laughs> <laughs> when, when Barbara tells me that, then I know it's time to check myself out. Anyway, uh, how many attempts to move our shortcomings? That I do on a daily basis. You know, and it goes along with the character defects too. But just to say it. I want to be able to continue to and to look at you in the eye. When I took these eighth step and the ninth step, I went to New York, and uh, my neighbor, who I uh, wasn't there, but a sister, Marie, was there. Marie used to like protect both of us. Um, and I asked Marie, why didn't she tell me it's too far gone? Anyway, I kind of blamed her for it, but the more I thought about it, and, and actually when I was on my way back home, I, I came back and I was telling my friend of mine in the program, and she said, well, you wouldn't have done anything about it. You wouldn't have, you hadn't hit the bottom yet. But I, I, I believe today that we can kind of <clears throat> give a push to those who are on their way to the bottom. I don't think it's necessary for everyone to lie in the, gut, in the gutter and to go through the pain that I went through to get this program. I think that we can plant the seed and sometime it does. I just didn't know about it sooner. And when I heard about it, I immediately did it. Uh, anyway, I... Um, <clears throat> Take the personal inventory, and, and I must say that's one that I do work on wrong. Or if I even feel I've done something, I apologize. I don't apologize too much. You know, women sometimes are doing it. I'm not that type. I don't overdo it. Um, if, I, if I do something in the morning to you, I'll wait all day before I'll, <laughs> before I'll have to analyze it very well. But I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do that. You know, the, uh, again, I don't do it for anyone else. I do it for me because I like to sleep. Thank you. I like to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
walk through prayer and meditation. I mentioned about my contact with my higher power. And when I was coming over here, I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? I'm not going to talk about the steps. I'm tired of talking about the steps. Uh, and I do that because I don't really like to talk about me a lot in depth. But uh, I was thinking about when I was working in the office, when I started there, when my goals were. And when I, I started working in the office in 1972 and um, found out what uh, EAP was, and I wanted to be one. You know, that was, that was the highest level you can go after you be um, a counselor wasn't good enough. I wanted to. So somewhere down the line, I guess I must have asked God. And um, slowly, slowly, uh, things that I, the direction that I wanted my life to take. You know, you really have to be careful what you pray for or what you're even thinking without verbalizing it because you might get it. You know, I had wanted to, uh, first of all, I wanted to be divorced. I have always wanted to be divorced. I've been wanting to be divorced from the first day I said yes. The next day I wanted to be divorced. Um, I wanted to be divorced. I wanted to be an EAP. I wanted to have a doctorate degree. And I wanted to teach. Those were my goals. I am now divorced. I'm now an EAP. Uh, I'm teaching and working my doctorate degree. Be careful what you ask God for because you might get it. It takes me longer to read a chapter <laughs> and to absorb it than some other people that I know, but of course they're younger. But I'm getting it, you know, I believe, and you told me, and I have no reason to doubt you, that I have uh, not had to lie on my back to get where I am today position at all. Uh, it just hard, took hard work. When um, I went through my divorce, and I, my husband knew that I wanted to divorce me. I used to tell my daughter that I was gonna leave her father. In fact, when she would come home from school on her break, I would always tell her that. And she said, no, you're not. Okay. But I did. One day, uh, I could not have stayed sober and stayed with him. He was very good um, um, financially. He would give me the things. I never wanted for anything. When, but mentally, it was very, very hard for me to do. Um, I was outgrowing him. And he had a... Uh, uh, a habit once in a while of throwing up my past to me. I had never lived it down. He could tell me uh, everything that I had done in New York 40 years before, and I got tired of it. So I had talked to God about it and talked to God about it. And Wayne Rhodes, oh, well, Wayne and Shirley I used to talk to a lot. And every time I fight, I would call Wayne up the next day and say, Wayne, look, you got to find me an apartment in the Spain somewhere because i got to get away. And just the time <coughs> he would call me, I would have changed my mind. He would be okay, you know. And one day, Bill called. Bill died, and he called me at the office. He said, Can't. I said, how do you know? He said, oh, we were discussing you over coffee last night after the meeting. And I said, okay, fine. Anyway, he told me that he had uh, moved in with his girlfriend, if he let it, if I was interested. So I said, yeah, and took a look at it. And to just show you how God works when you're really doing what you're I looked at the apartment and uh, decided I would take it. And I took my clothes out of the house a little piece at a time. Every day I left home, I had a trunk full of stuff, and I would move it. And by the time I moved out of the house, I had taken almost everything I had, and my husband never missed it. Anyhow, uh, we went through this divorce, and it wasn't very, it wasn't very pleasant. Uh, we had never been friends, but we tolerated each other. Anyway, when I, the first night that I moved into Bill's place, when I w moved into that apartment, there were food in the refrigerator, there were linen in the closet, there were pots and pans. All I had to do was move myself. Everything else was there. There's a microwave, there's a TV. Everything that I could want was in there. So all I had to do was move me in. 
I, when I divorced, I did not want to take any clothes. I did not want to disrupt the house. The kids were there when they weren't there, but when they came back home, it would be in one piece for them. Now this was their home. They were used to it being a certain way. And I didn't want to be the one that tore it up. So I didn't take except me. And I didn't need anything. When I was on the way home that night, I had to talk to God again. I said, no, God, I said, I'm scary. I'm re I have been a scary person all my life. Um, but I'm scary. I'm not as much now as I used to be. And I had never lived alone. I went from my mother to my husband. So I had never lived alone in my whole life. And that was one thing I was going to do. I promised myself I'd live alone before I died. And I know when I was going to die, so I had to do it right away. Anyway, um, I had to talk with God. And I said to him, you know, I said, look, God, I said, you know, this is the first time I've ever been alone. I'm scary. I don't want any shit out of you. You promised to take care of me. And I want you to do just that. Fine. I walked in, in the, I looked in the closets. I looked out in the bed. And there was no one there. And we were right in the line of women. I got used to that, okay, so I took a shower and uh, I got on my knees and said my prayers. I hadn't had a habit of doing that. Um, I, would, I never got on my knees and said my prayers when my husband was, when I was, and I don't know why, you know, I don't know. I went to church every Sunday, but I would never let him see me on my knees. And I got on my knees that night and I said my prayers, and it did that, you know, I began to um, enjoy it. I got on my knees in the morning when I got up and, and that's a ritual with me. I won't leave the house. I won't go out of the room before I do that. And it's like, okay, when I start to do that, the anger seemed to go away. And I think I've mentioned to you, some of those that have heard me talk before know, um, I used to have allergies. I mean, I really had allergies. I used to go to the doctor once a week for an allergy shot. And when I got uh, divorced, I didn't have to go to the allergy shot anymore. I didn't get them. I didn't need them. I used to break out. You know, I used to break out all around in here, a mess. I didn't have to do that anymore. You know, I don't have, a, it's like I had a cleansing or something. Or maybe I really started to work the third, of the, uh, the third step and to really, really integrate God into my life as I was supposed to have done all these years. And that's been over 10 years. I've been divorced over 10 years. But, uh, and I would, I would get up and I would, I would sit down and I would be able to read, you know, not feel anything, ask to be, to work, you know, just, that's all I'd ask for. If you keep me sober, keep me in my right mind, I can do everything else, you know. And I believe that if, I, if I'm sane and I'm sober, I can handle everything. I don't bother God too much, you know. I really don't. I just thank him, you know, and ask him for sobriety in the morning. I don't fool with him through the day. Something happens. You know, I don't bother him a lot, you know, so maybe help him with this. But that's not a big bother, you know, that's just a little. But uh, it, it, it works for me. My program would probably make somebody else drunk. I mean, it really would. Because it, it is so simple. I just do what I'm supposed to do. And I have been doing that for years. And it works. When I first came into AA, I didn't have any degree or anything like that. I went to uh, Central YMCA College next door to the office. I used to go to school on my lunch hour. It was there, they had classes on my lunch hour. I go to my lunch hour, I would go in the evening. And I did that. I wanted to be a counselor first. Uh, I would go and I, and I applied for it to be a counselor and they said, no, you can't do it. And, and they would wait until they get you $35, I think at that time, before they tell you no. They told me yes one time, but before, a couple of days before the uh, actual exam, called me and said to me that I didn't qualify because I didn't have a caseload. And I figured, I'm not going to give up my job to get a caseload because they don't make that much money. So um, I did that. I got an associate's degree in alcohol sciences from the Central Y. And then I reapplied and then said no again. So I figured, okay, fine, I get a bachelor's degree. So I went to uh, National College of Education in Evanston and started to work on my bachelor's degree. And I'm working for AA all the time, too. And um, 
I got my bachelor's degree and then I really, and, uh, you know, you get greedy. You know the personality that I have, you know, enough is never enough, you need more. So um, I started to work on my master's degree because it was easy. The bachelor wasn't that hard, so I figured how much harder can the master be? So um, I started to work along those lines for my master's degree, and that's when the opportunity came up for the and I really wasn't going to apply for it because I didn't think I was going to get it. Uh, at the time, uh, Harold Washington had just became mayor. And there was a gentleman that in the program um, that lived in Aurora. He and his wife, I can't think of a night, they're both, her name is Tweedy or something. Anyway, uh, he called me and asked me, uh, no. There was a guy that was living southwest side, an older man. Uh, uh, Frank N., he's... Now. Anyway, Frank used to come to me all the time. He said, Kathy, why don't you put it in the nah, They weren't going to give it to me. Anyway, um, the day before the application closure was coming, I decided to do it. And when I got the position, uh, I was going to work school of my master's at the time. I got the position, and the guy in Aurora heard about it. And he called me. He said, you know what, Kathy? I said, what? He says, I don't think Chicago is ready for two blacks. I was so mad at him, I could have killed him. And... I said, I beg your pardon, I don't think Chicago's ready for two blacks. So, and I, he said it jokingly, but I didn't take it as a joke. And I was so pissed with him, I was really, really upset. And I, I was cool, I did not um, say anything negative. I said, okay, fine, no, so that's your opinion, we'll see. Anyway, I, I, uh, I worked very hard at that position, and it did come easier for me than it would be for an outsider, because I had been working at 10 years prior too. And I knew how things worked. And this guy right here, Joe, I remember when Joe was, uh, was chairman pro tem for the finance committee. I think it was at the time hired. And he used to walk with me through a lot of things. And I had people in my life around me. Everybody in my life wasn't out to get me in an eight step. There were people around me that was good to me, that wanted the best for me. And I had people around me that nurtured me, and, you know, and, and I could depend on And I knew people who, had, who were in the different positions because I had worked with them for a long time and knew some of the needs that I saw were as needs, and uh, listened to what they were saying. At the time, we used to have uh, a dinner with the delegates before the CASC meeting, and I must have had dinner with 20, sometimes 30 of them, and I know each, knew each one by name. I knew their concerns in the district meetings. I knew what bothered them. I knew what made them tech, and those were the things that I had wanted to work on when I became manager. And my, my really goal was to try and unite the uh, southeast side, the far southeast side, the intergroup, that had dropped out of AA and had formed their own stuff. So that was my goal. The first thing I did was to try and get those back into AA mainstream. And we're lucky enough to do that for very hard work. But um, again, I think God, I know that he does for me what he wants me to do. He leads me and he guides me in whatever I do. When I was going to school, every September, if I said I wasn't going to go the next semester, I had a, a drive, you know, something pushing me to keep doing it, to keep doing it. So he knew where he wanted me to go. And I think sometimes we can get sequestered in a place that's too small for us. I had been there as manager, um, and you can't grow. I mean, the manager in Chicago area is as far as you can go. You can't do anything else regardless of what kind of talent you have. You can't go any farther. And he saw that. And even though um, um, a couple, three people think that they forced me to resign, God did it because I was not finished yet. I had not reached my potential yet. And I... Uh, Two of the people that um, came to me and, and asked me to resign are six feet under now. And one is a monk or something like that. But anyway, um, this one guy, I had the opportunity. He was dying and, and called me and wanted to know if I was angry with him. I said, no. I said, I'm not angry. You were only God's instrument. 
you know, you were only God's instrument. You think it's not. So I don't have any um, resentments or anything like that um, towards anyone because I was not forced to take a pen and sign uh, a letter, a statement saying I'm going to quit. But you can get sequestered in a place that's too small for you. I cannot grow there. I couldn't anyway. And I'm doing what I want to do and what I enjoy doing. Still, uh, working with alcoholics, not recovering ones, but trying to carry the message and to practice the principles. Sometimes, and, and another reason I said before that I don't take a lot of speaking engagement because I work as, as an EAP for Cook County. A lot of my clients are referred to AA as the treatment, all those kinds of things. And I'm kind of shy on going to a meeting and seeing a client of mine there because I don't want to blow my anonymity yet. Um, it worked. I have seen clients of mine at meetings. I saw them at the Chicago Open, but they don't know if I'm there for a reason or if I'm there because of AA, except uh, what it was last year, year before last, they asked me to read something. And I asked, I said, I'm Kathy Willis. I didn't say I was an alcoholic. I just said, Kathy Willis, like, I'm not going to blow my anonymity yet. You know, I'm not that big a fool. Anyway, uh, everybody's not as well, and everybody's not at the same state where I am in my sobriety, but I'm doing what I want to do. And I had, uh, after I was uh, left AA, my daughter, my oldest daughter who lives in Ohio, uh, again, this is Scott working, she had a tumor. And I didn't know that Sandy's tumor was malignant. I had no idea. So a week after I left AA, I went to Columbus to stay with her because she was grieving. And at the hospital, we were talking, and she was saying to me, she, uh, you know, that prep talk that you give your because Anyway, she went up for surgery, and I was in the waiting room five hours, and people, the doctor kept on out here. All of a sudden, the doctor called me, and he took me into a, and he told me that my daughter had cancer. I lost it. I mean, I absolutely <coughs> lost it. I had no idea that uh, she, she was that seriously ill. She knew, but I didn't know it. And I just lost it. They had to give me a, a sedative to get my, get my. Anyway, uh, I stayed there with her for three months. She's fine, and she accepted it right away. Today, she's fine. I mean, they have a, a, a trace, not a, at all. Uh, thank God. But I, bl I lost it. And when I was in Columbus for three months, I didn't make a meeting one time. I did not call anybody. And I have friends there in the program. I didn't call them. I didn't go to a meeting. I didn't think about it. I did not think about it. I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. So I didn't call anybody. I didn't call back. Well, I called back to Chicago not to talk. That's when I knew that my spiritual program was working for me. You know, that's when I know that my sobriety is based on I don't know when you're not going to be accessible to reach out to you. I have a habit of not doing that. I mean, I don't call people as often as I should. When I was going through my divorce, working in the central office, I was, had my divorce before the office staff knew I was going through a divorce. You know why? Because they talked too much. And I didn't want you talking about me at your coffee breaks. So I didn't share it with them. But it worked for me. It really did work. I talked to my sponsor. But I have a habit, I won't talk to you. I won't, even to this day, I won't share certain parts of me if I think it's going to, I don't know if it's a character defect or not, but, it, it, but I know that I have to make sure that my sobriety is fine and that my spiritual condition, because I don't trust enough. You know, I, I really don't. I sometimes think that there are, it, it, there's a true statement that some are sicker than others. I believe that. You know, I believe it. And I don't, I don't want to get so enmeshed in AA that I don't know how to fit into the outside world. I was taught early on that AA is supposed to prepare you for the outside world. It becomes a part of you. I know when I need a meeting, I know when I need to be with you. But I, I know also that I got to function outside, and I want to be able to do that. 
and not be afraid I'm going to drink. And, and, and as I tell my, my clients and my people that I work with all the time, you have Clorox in your house, you don't drink that either, do you? You know, you accept the fact that you can't drink. It's that simple. There are certain things that we can't do. I can't file pain either, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me less than. So I can't drink, and I know that. And I think that started to work for me when I took my first, and I began to understand what the disease was. And you taught me that, me that I can do it. Anything that you think you can do, if you're sober, might be able to take a little bit longer, but you can do it. So I just let God guide me, you know, whatever you want me to do, that's fine. I wake up in the morning, I ask for sobriety, and when I leave the house, and whatever happens to me that day, his will is in it. If my will gets me on a straight, his that's how I work my program today. And I'm really, really glad that Don asked me to come and to share with you. Thank you very much.